Welcome to Absence Management Perspectives, a DMEC podcast. The Disability Management Employer Coalition, or DMEC as we're known by most people, provides focused education, knowledge, and networking opportunities for absence and disability management professionals. DMEC has become a leading voice in the industry and represents more than 16,000 professionals from organizations of all sizes across the United States and Canada. This podcast series will focus on industry perspectives and provide the opportunity to delve more deeply into issues that affect DMEC members and the community as a whole. We're thrilled to have you with us and hope you will visit us at dmec.org to get a full picture of what we have to offer, from webinars and publications to conferences, certifications, and much more. Let's get started and meet the people behind the processes. Hello, and welcome to the DMEC podcast. I'm Heather Grimshaw, Communications Manager for DMEC, and I'm here today with Pilar Velez, a DMEC member who wrote the article, Intersectionality and Disability on the Road to Equity, Why Allyship Matters, for At Work Magazine. The article focuses on her successful return to work following a traumatic brain injury. Pilar's story provides valuable insights for absence management professionals, and we've asked her to provide additional context during our discussion today. Pilar, let's start with you introducing yourself, and then we can dive right into our conversation. Thank you, Heather. I'm so grateful to be here today. I've worked at Intel for over 20 years. Uh, I'm currently a global benefits program manager, and uh, I've proudly served as Intel's Americans with Disabilities Act, or ADA, program manager for the past eight years. Wonderful. So for those who might not have read the article yet, would you share an overview of your experience and talk a little bit about intersectionality and why it's an important concept for professionals in the leave management space to understand? Certainly. In 2015, I was diagnosed with superior semicircular canal dehiscence, which is a traumatic brain injury that required a craniotomy. This injury affected my vestibular system, my eyesight, uh, and I experienced some cognitive decline in the months just before my surgery. I was out on leave for approximately seven months, and I returned to a reduced work week of 20 hours a week for one month and 30 hours a week for approximately 10 months. Returning to work was a terrifying prospect. I work in a very high-performing environment, and it is very demanding. And though the visible aspects of my disability lasted a few months, I had to use a walking stick to support my balance and special glasses to train my eyes. Eventually, I started to look just like my old self, even though I still had a long way to go to reach what many in the industry called maximum medical improvement. There were times when I was too embarrassed to perform my vestibular therapy at work where others could see me. So I regularly took to hiding in the largest toilet stall in the bathroom several times a day to do my therapy. Um, I was certain that if I did not start pulling my weight at any moment, I would be let go. The fear was almost unbearable. 
So I'll pause right here for a moment. I've just shared a snapshot of how it felt to come to work fully present, recovering from my disability. Now being, being able to bring my full self to work means acknowledging my experience as a woman in a fairly male-dominated engineering world, my experience as a person of color in a primarily non-diverse world, and my experience of being a woman over 40 in a workplace where it felt like all of the people around me were recent college graduates. I remember when I said that I went into a bathroom stall several times a day to perform my vestibular therapy, a close coworker noticed and playfully joked that perhaps I might be drinking too much water or might need to see a doctor about my many visits to the loo. Intersectionality to me is about recognizing that I don't just come to work as a person recovering from a disability. I come to work as all aspects of myself. And that is where the challenges lie. I don't know if someone is watching me use the restroom 10 times a day and is wondering what's wrong with me because I'm old and need some medical help or is even noticing at all. But that's where the different lenses through which people can see me kind of come into play. That's such a powerful example that you've shared. And I think will will resonate with a lot of of our listeners who uh, find themselves kind of in that um, awkward space of not knowing potentially how to help or how to interact and um, support. I I wonder how well understood the term intersectionality is in leave management circles. <laughs> yeah, I, it's, it's a great question, and and. Unfortunately, I don't think the term intersectionality is very well understood outside of communities who are, are used to being identified through many lenses. Like I said, I'm I'm a woman, person of color, I'm over a certain age, and I live with disabilities. Uh, all of these are potentially lenses through which others could perceive me and perceive my potential value or lack of value, for example. And I'm unable to hide some of these. I can't hide my gender. Um, I can't hide my age, though people might guess at my age differently. And I can't hide my race, though again, some might call me ambiguous. I'm fairly pale. My disabilities currently happen to be invisible, unless I'm carrying a walking stick to support my balance. But I am accustomed to being seen through many different lenses and, unfortunately, seen through lenses of discrimination. So I'm very familiar with the term intersectionality. I didn't learn it, though, at work through my role as a lead management professional. I learned it through living as a person who is used to being seen through many different lenses. That's really helpful. And I, I think that that was one of the aspects of, of your article um, that that was so helpful is raising awareness of this concept as well as, as your experience. And we so appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, 
What are the most important pieces of this concept, which frankly is is a large concept and a complex concept? Um, so what are some of the most important pieces of it for your colleagues to grasp? Oh, wonderful. Wonderful, Heather. Thank you. One thing that's really great to see is how much more aware we are becoming of the concept of unconscious bias, how we see that the uh, quick decisions our brains make that we're not even aware of inform our decision making. And and we just, it, it happens so quickly, we just don't know that it's happening. And in this case, awareness of intersectionality as a concept can be incredibly helpful because we're essentially uncovering layers of potential bias. Our minds are naturally very fast decision-making engines, and we strive for efficiency in today's fast-paced world. So it's even more important to be aware of areas where we know we carry the potential for biased thinking even before the situation arises for that to enter into our into the equation, into our thinking. So conversely, knowing about intersectionality enables us to look out for those opportunities to support, to encourage, or to stand up as an ally for someone who's facing those challenges. Uh, let me give you an example. Uh, I often will uh, talk to folks in work uh, from my role as the ADA program manager about what it's like to live with a disability. And that will give people the, uh, help them feel safe and empowered to ask me questions about disabilities in general. And uh, they'll ask questions about, well, you know, I have a neighbor who I know is blind because I see them walking with a cane and I never know what to do. I, I, I walk across the street so they don't run into me, uh, but I always just feel so awkward. And I will often pause and say, what makes you think you have to walk across the street? And it's because they will tell me, well, I don't want them to run into me because they can't see me. And I'll say, well, do you think they can't hear you? And they pause and they say, I never thought about that. I say, well, what is it about the blindness that makes you think they can't hear you say, good morning, neighbor? Right. And it's that idea that we see a disability or we see blindness and we think disabled and something happens. Some sort of bias thinking comes into our mind that even in the most helpful of 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 mindsets, this person who came up to me simply didn't want to cause problems for their neighbor. Uh, But rather than doing what we might do with any other person, (laughs) say, hi, neighbor, something I can do for you. They stayed completely silent, creating potentially a barrier, and then walked across the street in avoidance. It's it's mind-boggling how we create these, uh, we create these barriers in our own minds instead of pausing to evaluate them, to just be aware Mm. of them. That's such a good example. And I think so true in so many situations. So that 
I think that that gentle prompt is is really helpful uh, to to pause. So, and actually, I think you're illustrating your role as as an ally in in that environment or in that situation. Um, but I I'm hoping that you'll provide us a quick overview of the concept of allyship, which is uh, one of the focuses of your um, of your article, and talk a little bit more about how allies at Intel helped you overcome some of the fears you noted in the article. Oh, yes, I'd love to. In fact, I just came across a, a definition by Nicole Finoyam-Hara, uh, the Director of Diversity Programs at Mayo Clinic, and she defines the act of allyship as, quote, when a person of privilege works in solidarity and partnership with marginalized group of people to help take down the systems that challenge that group's basic rights, equal access, and ability to thrive in our society. It's powerful. It's beautiful. And, you know, when I returned to work, I could feel that I had changed. So much had occurred with my body and brain that, frankly, I felt my own personality had shifted through this experience as well. The confidence that I carried prior to the injury, you know, it it was gone because I worried that the person I was prior to the injury was also gone. Uh, I'm a knowledge worker and my brain was impacted. Did I want to come back to work? Of course I did. But when I got back to work, I realized I didn't have all the tools in my toolbox that I needed to succeed. I didn't have the voice that I needed that would say on my behalf, well, Pilar needs to go back to work slowly and she should adjust her work around her recuperation. This is reasonable. I didn't possess that little voice on my shoulder reminding me that I have a right to be here with a disability. I have a right to recover from my disability. I am a worthy person. All of this granted me uh, was granted me in, in the form of allies, people who spoke for me, people who stepped in on my behalf when I was unsure, and frankly, people who gave me that virtual shoulder shake and said to me that I have as much right to be here now as I did before, and so I had better show up like I have every right to be here. You know, it was my allies at work who made a space for me to return to work at an appropriate pace, who reminded me of my worth and right to exist, and helps me regain my own voice. That's so powerful and wonderful. Um, I'm wondering how you found them at Intel. Um, You mentioned in the article that it was difficult to find allies and note that they supported you by instinct instead of instruction or guidance. Um, It's certainly impressive and speaks so highly of your colleagues. I'm wondering what guidance you have for building that type of a support network at other organizations. Oh, that's such a great question, Heather. And you're right. When I was going through my disability experience, my allies found me. I don't think they realized they were allies necessarily, but they did leverage their knowledge, their experience, and their positions of 
proverbial power to ensure that my voice was heard. Um, in my daily experience now, I find allies by listening for how they respond when people are being left out, uh, left out of conversations, uh, whose inputs are not being heard, or those who are constantly interrupted instead of given space to speak. Uh, allies are ones who will stop a conversation and ensure that quiet one may be heard. Uh, they're the ones who will remember to say, well, let's not forget Maria's input needs to be captured. When Maria is not present for the meeting. Uh, when a team building event is being scheduled and we have uh, vegetarians in the team, the ally will remember to select a restaurant with vegetarian options. Uh, allies will check with me as the ADA program manager at work to make sure they're using disability inclusive language so that they're not saying anything offensive. Well, none of this is to say that these wonderful people know that they're acting as allies. They're, they tend to simply be thoughtful and conscientious people who consider equity and needs beyond their own. And those are the makings of a great ally. Now, if I find a true card-carrying capital A-L-L-Y ally, uh, they usually tend to be very present with what they say and how they approach a situation but anyone can be an ally. You know, allies don't have to be loud, proud, article writing, self-identifying <laughs> vocal people. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Allies are people who care enough about equity in the community that they'll step up to support it and ensure it. I love that. So is Intel doing anything different today as a result of your experience that, that you would be willing to share? Oh, my goodness, yes. Uh, well, at Intel, we have an employee resource group called the Intel Disability and Accessibility Network. It's known as IDAN. Uh, this is Intel's employee resource group supporting employees with disabilities and employees who are caregivers for family members with disabilities. Uh, it's been around for a while. It didn't start with me by any stretch. Uh, but it's been phenomenal to see our employees respond to the global campaigns that IDAN has, has run for increased disability inclusion, awareness, and education. Now, one thing that, frankly, I'm humbled and very proud to have been a part of was after my experience, uh, one of the things that I committed myself and my manager to do was to put an article out through IDAN on the intranet site at Intel, our main intranet site that would go global to all of our employees in honor of uh, National Disability Employment Awareness Month. Uh, so we did that <clears throat> the October after I returned from work. We put together an article about my return and my manager did a short article for managers about his return, uh, about his supporting me in my return, excuse me. Nice. And that article uh, wasn't the first employee story, but it was one of the, it was the first story that had gotten the ability to be showcased, like right on the front page of our intranet site. And because of that attention and because it was focused around our Heritage Month, an N-D-E-A-M, uh, it received 
10,000, over 10,000 clicks and over 250 comments, which for us is at the level of uh, articles by our own CEO at the time. Wow. And, yeah, I was surprised. Mm -hmm. And dozens of people reached out to me personally to thank me for, for speaking my truth. And I will never forget, there were several who reached out to me very personally and said, I have a disability similar to yours, and I cannot speak up. I am too afraid. Thank you for speaking up for me. And since then, we've continued to tell employee stories, and that has done so much to dispel myths and misperceptions about working with disability, uh, sharing the reality that most disabilities are invisible. And, and this is incredibly powerful to, frankly, normalize disability inclusiveness in the workplace. And we really want to keep in mind that education and awareness is still critical for most workplaces. Absolutely. That's that's wonderful. I love I love the fact that you've that you've kind of opened the door uh, for people to talk about their experience and and really appreciate the comment you made about speaking your truth. Um, so you talked about again in, in your article, uh, you talked about the need to bring patients uh, to engagements with others due to what you describe and and just did describe as invisible disabilities. Can you talk a little bit more about this? what resources were helpful, and what you'd encourage your colleagues to consider as they work with direct reports and colleagues who have different types of disabilities. Yes, absolutely. Uh, this may not be a popular answer, <laughs> but it's the best one I have because <laughs> it has served so well. Um, and it's this, slow down and make a little space. Uh, by this, I mean, slow down enough in your interactions so that you can recognize when assumptions might be getting in the way of listening for understanding. Working in the corporate world for two decades has taught me that we're very good at operationalizing the work that we do in order to gain efficiency. And we want to be faster and more effective so that we can serve our customers, take care of our employees, get our work done, do it well. And unfortunately, an outcome of that is we begin to operationalize our interactions with one another. And this is when we start to miss things. We miss those subtle cues that are being given to us, which tell us that someone needs something. We miss our own internal cues, which inform us that we're making assumptions instead of seeking to understand, or that perhaps we're operating with bias. And that's not helpful. That's not serving our customers in the way that we intend. And when we move so fast, we don't notice that we're not paying attention. You know, another very good, very simple way to see if someone needs support is to ask, how can I help? Yeah, that's it's such wonderful advice. And it, it does, I think it's such a good reminder. And it, it reminds me of the story that you told at the beginning of our conversation about, uh, I think it was a colleague who was telling you about a neighbor who is blind and not sure what to do. I think that that question, how can I help, is, is a great one. 
So as a, a leaf management professional, what would you encourage your colleagues to do differently or to consider when working with people who have disabilities and are returning to work so they can consider all aspects and provide the most helpful type of support? Oh, yes. You know, I'd say support networks are crucial. Uh, managers and benefit from knowing the breadth of options available to them in support of their employees. Uh, if there's an opportunity to showcase all of the support available to employees living with disabilities, like employee resource groups, uh, internal work online forums, then share this information. Uh, try to refrain from assuming that employees are already aware of the resources that are available. I've been at my job for decades, and I didn't know about all the support I could leverage. And I also try to remember that disability recovery is often as much below the surface as it is a physical activity. Uh, by this, I mean it can be an emotionally challenging process to return to work. It, it doesn't end when a claim closes. So any opportunity to encourage longer-term support, uh, like informal check-ins by the manager, uh, buddy, or perhaps ADA specialist, if there are continuing accommodations, can be incredibly affirming to the employee. That's such helpful advice. I, I think it's, and I, I really appreciate the fact that you talk a little bit about um, how disability recovery can be, as you said, as much below the surface as it is physical. Um, I think that's something that is so important to keep in mind, so. Thank you so much for not only your article, which we so appreciate, uh, but also your willingness to chat with us today uh, for our podcast. It's really been a pleasure talking with you, and we so appreciate your input and perspective. Absolutely. Thank you so much for providing this opportunity. I truly appreciate it, and I hope it's helpful to anyone who, who hears this. <laughs>